You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen and amen. Let's just stand and continue worshiping in prayer as we open up God's word and and ask him to help us in our hearts truly know the full meaning and significance of what Good Friday is. We're not here together today just for a meaningless memorial event. We're here to remember the death of Jesus Christ and all that he means to our lives today. Let me pray. Pray with me as I come before our Father on our behalf. Oh God, thank you for Good Friday. Thank you that we can come together as your people and and we can worship you and we can remember the fullness of of the significance of this day. Oh God, our prayer this morning is simple for those who have never heard this message before. Oh God, would you help them see the truth of Jesus Christ today and the fullness of what he bore for them. God, for those that are here today that have left you, they know you, but have left you far behind, oh God, would you awaken their souls to the wonder and the glory of who you are, God, as expressed by what you did on the cross. Oh Father, for those that are here that that know you and are living for you and loving you with all their hearts, God, I pray that you would, even in our hearts, God, just open us to a greater understanding, a greater revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh God, would no heart here remain unchanged and unaffected by the truth of the cross this Good Friday. your glory reign in this place, God. Would Jesus be lifted so high right now, so high, that we could not help but get low and bow before you and worship our Lord, our God, our maker, and our Savior. Please hear our prayers, Lord, and we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to go ahead and and grab a seat this morning. We're just going to open up God's word for a few minutes. As you've probably picked up on by now, there's really no show. We're just wanting to help you understand the full meaning of Good Friday and the cross of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to be, starting at verse 45. Just a couple verses today in the short time we have together. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers will come down your row and give you a Bible. Please follow along with us. And if you don't have one at home, this is your Good Friday gift from us. We encourage you to take it home and read it. Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to be. Here's the reality today, brothers and sisters. Today we come together to remember and commemorate one of the most unique days in human history, one of the darkest days the world has ever seen. We've had our share of dark days in the world, haven't we? Even recently, I think of some of the events of recent history in my lifetime that have have caused me every year to stop and to remember. I think of not too long ago, December 2012, Sandy Hook. And every December, when December rolls around, I have that image of of 20 little school kids and six teachers that died and can't help but be overcome a little bit with with heaviness of what has happened and transpired and to stop and remember them. Of course, 9-11, we can't get past September 11th anymore without having a day of mourning around the world and stopping and everything goes on pause. Remember all that happened, the 3,000 that died, the 6,000 that were injured. We have a memorial for them in our hearts. Still remember where I was when, when uh, Columbine happened and when the Oklahoma City bombing happened. Just last year we again celebrated something that happened in Canada, remember something that happened in Canada, a polytechnique in Montreal, 1989, 26 years ago, finally a memorial was put up in front of that, that institution to remember the fullness of what happened. 
It's amazing to me that even, some of, even though we are years removed from some of these things and miles away and circles removed from the epicenter of these atrocities, years later we can still remain, we can, cannot remain unaffected. These days have left their mark and there is one day though that stands above every other dark day that has left a, a mark on humanity that we can never forget and it can never be erased. That is Good Friday. The day the Son of God was murdered by man and God lifted up his Son and, and, and gave us his Son to be sacrificed for our sins and yet this wasn't a senseless death as we know it but one with profound implications for every man, woman, and child to ever live and this is what we commemorate today. We're not just doing a little religious ceremony today. We're commemorating a truth that really happened that affects us even 2,000 years later. Remembering the day the Son of God was hammered to a Roman cross and lifted up in humiliation for our ultimate salvation. This is what Matthew chapter 27 is capturing for us, the death of Jesus Christ. Look at the little subtitle, the death of Jesus Christ. This is the darkest day in human history, bar none. Here's what happened that first Good Friday after, after all the trials, the sham trials where they put Jesus on trial and, and, and all the ridicules and all the physical beatings. Here's what it came down to. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. When I say this is the darkest day in human history, I'm not just talking you know, a little bit dark. I'm talking this is the darkest day in human history. The day when the lights went out and the whole world stood still because something significant was happening. This word dark is literally translated in the original language eklepto, which means simply the ceasings to exist. So like there was, there was not, not just a little bit of darkness, there was like no light at all. Light ceased to exist in this momentary time in history. The absence of light, it was pitch black. Such a contrast when Jesus came. When Jesus came, the whole sky was lit up with his glory and God is saying, hey, the, the king of the world, the savior, the light of the world is coming to the world. Well, when he died, the exact opposite happened. It was darkness. I'm not talking about the kind of darkness that we've all experienced at funerals. You know, when you go to a funeral, it's a sad day and the weather seems to match, a little bit gloomy outside, the sun's not shining. Not that type of darkness. Like, this is, this is darkness. Eclipo. English word is eclipse. This is this, not a lunar eclipse, but this, God himself supernaturally put his hand around the sun and caused darkness. He caused an eclipse of any light to be on this earth to punctuate the harsh reality of what was going on. This is the black mark in human history. We killed Jesus and divine judgment was falling upon the Son of God. The darkness outside was simply to reflect the inner pain and the anguish of God and Jesus Christ on the inside. It was a bad day on earth. It was a horrific day on earth. It was a sad day in heaven. It was an anguishing day in heaven. This darkness from the, the, the hour that it happened, the sixth hour, that's noon, noon till three. This whole, this whole parade to the cross started at 9 a.m. When, when Jesus was marched till Golgotha and, and strung up between two criminals. And then at noon, picture the desert at noon. It is bright. The sun is shining. It's scorching. All of a sudden, darkness enveloped the earth till three o'clock. Like God pulling the breakers of the world to show us and make sure we didn't miss this event. This is the day of all days, the severity and the gravity of this day. Ultimately, you know what this is? This is the day in which God abandoned his son on my account. 
This is the day that God abandoned his son on my account. Good Friday is the darkest day in human history in which God abandoned his son on my account. Listen to the next words and, and help with me try and grasp the fullness of the the, the, the significance and the anguish of them. Look at verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. They're making fun of him. We know from Psalm 22, basically what he's, he's saying is, is that he is equating himself with God. They're making fun of him and, and trying to spin this in a different direction. And one of them even uh, ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Drink this, O son of God. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Consider with me the significance of those few words, that one sentence is where we're going to camp for the whole sermon. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Elizabeth Browning poem says, this is Emmanuel's orphan cry. This is Emmanuel's orphan cry when he was forsaken by God. When he was being cursed for the sin of all mankind, and in that moment, God was, was deserting him. That's what forsaken means. It means to be abandoned. It means to be left behind. It, it means to be turned away from. And, and this is what was happening in this time uh, in Jesus Christ's life. As he was fulfilling his necessary but horrific work of paying the penalty for our sins, God chose in this moment to withhold his love and his presence from his son for the first time and the last time in all of history. It's interesting to note this is the only time Jesus never referred to God as Father. The Son is taking on the sin of you and I and the Father is turning his back away from him because this is the way it had to be that you and I might be accepted by God. This is the way it had to be. Jesus had to be rejected that I might be accepted Oh, I pray we never look at Jesus the same after we really study the significance of these words and what's happening in this three hours on Good Friday. If you read them with me again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever been forsaken in this life, you know the pain of somebody turning their backs on you. This is what Jesus is, is he's not crying, he's saying, hey God, hey God, he, he's, he's crying in anguish, God, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? The pain of being forsaken. I maybe experienced a little bit of that in high school and a couple girls that didn't like me because I was a geek or whatever, but I really don't know the pain of being forsaken. Some of you get a little better glimpse of being forsaken. Spouses have walked out and parents have disowned, best friends have pushed away. You know the anguish of that? Can you imagine being the anguish of, of Jesus who's part of the Trinity with God, never been apart from him in perfect unity for the first time experiencing what it's like to be without God? Can you imagine the anguish of that? So often we, so often we put on the cover story of Good Friday, we put the floggings and the physical pain of Jesus and we relegate the spiritual emotional pain of Jesus to page number two. But let's be honest this morning as we consider this, the, the physical pain was nothing compared to the emotional pain that he went through in being separated from God and bearing the sins of the world. Far greater impact the spiritual pain. 
It's remarkable what Jesus was willing to endure. John MacArthur helps us understand that like this, he says it like this. This is what's going on when Jesus is uttering these words in the darkness of that, that three hours, that one Friday. Jesus did not die as a martyr to a righteous cause or simply as an innocent man wrongly accused and condemned, nor as some suggested, he dies a heroic gesture against man's inhumanity to man. The Father could have looked favorably on on such selfless deaths as those, but because Jesus died as a substitute sacrifice for the sins of the world, the righteous Heavenly Father had to judge him fully according to that sin. Good Friday is an inexplicable event that might be called sovereign departure as somehow God was separated from God. Try and wrap your mind around that for a minute. This is why the anguish of Jesus Christ. God separated from God. Three realities of what happened in that three hours that have eternal significance for us even right here today. Three realities of what happened, which which what happened in that three hours of darkness that, that first Good Friday. During the longest three hours ever, here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was shouldering my sin. Jesus was shouldering my sin, not just the sins of those who put him on the cross or the sins of those of the age. Jesus was shouldering my sin, the sins of everybody to ever live, every sin ever committed. Jesus was shouldering that in this moment. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Good Friday, brothers and sisters, isn't just about another person dying an untimely and terrible death. That happens every day. Read the newspapers. Uh, This is the day the Son of God, 100% human and 100% God, was willing to stand in our place and take the punishment for sin that we deserved from his own Father. perfectly holy son of God is doing this for us. He's shouldering everything that he hates, everything that is contrary to his nature, everything that he came to eradicate in this moment, he was shouldering it on our behalf. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he wasn't just in shouldering it, he was embodying it. He, being God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, he had no concept of sin in his own heart, who knew no sin, to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 is what's happening here. Jesus is becoming a curse for us. He's willing to take every big sin and every little sin that we've ever committed and put it on himself and say, God, there's a penalty that needs to be paid and I'll take it for them. Can you imagine the pain and the, and the, the, the hardship of that? Let's be honest, I just stopped to consider the, the sin of my own 41 and almost 42 years and, and if I were to put every sin I ever committed on the screen behind me, you would be astonished and I would be absolutely ashamed of that. The weight of that would be too much to bear for you to see it all and just stand before God with all my sin of almost 42 years of sin, every thought that I've thought, every, every evil intention of the heart, every misdeed of my tongue, every time my fingers were, or my feet rushed to sin, I would be utterly crushed by the weight of that, especially standing before holy God there's no way I could get myself off the floor now can you imagine if I had to bear the sins of everyone in this room I had to be put on my shoulders oh too much what about everyone in Niagara region even the people that are, that are inhabiting our jails and the people we would consider the least of the least Canada North America jails full I, I had to carry all that like, the world 
Every person to ever live, every sin ever committed, past, present, and future. Can you understand a little bit of the anguish of like, oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sin could only be paid for by one fully God and fully man. And so Jesus in this moment is shouldering the sins of the universe as our mediator between God and us. He's also this, he's also being separated from the Father. He was abandoned. God is turning his face away from Jesus Christ in this three hours. You'd think at this point, Jesus would used to be being forsaken, right? He was forsaken his whole life. He was kind of a stranger on this earth. His followers were always forsaking him. They were like, oh, he's so great. He's doing all these miracles. As soon as he preached a message they didn't like or got too close to their heart, they're like, I'm out, see ya. Forsaken by his followers, his closest friends and disciples. When the moment of truth came, when it was like he needed them the most, where were they? They were scattered. They were running except for a few. He was forsaken by his closest friends, his family. His family in the, in the times where he's saying, I'm the son of God, they're like, you're nuts. And they, they pushed him away. He's forsaken by his family. But yet, add all that forsaken together and nothing compared to being forsaken by his father the one in whom he has perfect unity. But in this moment on the cross, in these three hours on the cross, the longest three hours of human history, here's what is happening. God is withholding his loving presence from his son, a God who is too pure of eyes to behold evil, as Habakkuk 1.13 says. This is the God that is, is saying, I can't even look at you while you become sin. My eyes are too holy to behold my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark my words, the scars on his soul were far deeper than the scars on his back. In these three hours. Christian rapper Shai Lin helps us understand this with these lyrics. But the most mysterious aspect of this saga, three hours spent under the wrath of the father. His dad, his dad is who commanded it. His attributes demanded it. The lamb was doomed to handle this absolute abandonment. The craziest thing the universe has ever known for the first time in eternity, God was alone. But I guess the part of it that makes it so heavy, he did it for those who cry out, Jesus, I'm ready. You gotta get this, this wasn't a forever abandonment, this is a temporary thing. It must, three hours must have seemed like 30,000 years to Jesus. We know in a few minutes he's gonna say, into your hands I commit my spirit. Ultimately Jesus knew that he could never be eternally separated from his father. His father was gonna leave him forever, but he had to pay this price for us. The longest three hours Jesus was separated from his father. Here's the third thing that's happening in this three hours that helps us understand the, the, the fullness of this anguish in Jesus' soul. Jesus was suffering God's wrath. Jesus was suffering God's wrath. In this moment, God was pouring out his cup of fury or wrath upon his son. This is the same cup that in Luke chapter 22, Jesus was saying, God, I know it's coming. God, I know it's coming. But if there's any way out of this, please let me out of this but ultimately not my will, but yours be done. And God's in heaven saying, son, there's no way out of this. The cup of wrath has to be poured upon somebody and I want it to be you for the sins of the world. God's wrath had to be satisfied. I know some of you are thinking because you're here in church all today that God isn't wrath, he's just love and God has no wrath. Biblically, God does have wrath towards sin. That's what makes him good. That's what makes God good. He hates everything evil. A truly good person hates what is evil. And you've been like me, you watch the news, and 
How many times do you watch the news and you can feel stirring up in your heart this, this, this holy and this, this righteous anger of some of the atrocities that are happening in this world? In the last few weeks, Ruth and I watch, look at my, I'm a news junkie, we look at the news uh, together at night on my, my computer before bed, and, and some of the things that have been happening, it, just, it, it caused you to stand up and almost pace, like how can this, this, this happen in, in Chicago just in the past couple months, there's a couple stories that caught our attention that, that just stir within us an anger, and I think it's a good anger. One of them, it really hits close to home because we have a special needs daughter, it's, it's a bunch of teenagers beating and ridiculing and mocking a special needs teenager while they're live streaming it to the, to the world, and, and people are watching this and no one's doing anything about it. If you're a good person, you should get angry about that, shouldn't you? Amen. And then just a couple weeks ago, the, the, this 14-year-old girl, some atrocious things were happening to her. Again, live-streamed, and 40 people were watching it, and no one called the police, and my wife's pacing around the room. I just, to watch the police chief of Chicago talking about that incident with this girl, he was visibly shaken and visibly angry, and, and could, you, could, you, could you call him out for that? We're going to get Justice. How has humanity come to this? That's a good police chief. What kind of police chief would stand after these things and be like, oh, well, it happens. Worse things have happened than that, so would that be a good police chief? It's not a police chief I'd want presiding over Niagara, would you? Well, this is a, this is a good God, a, a holy, moral, and perfect God, absolute perfection, not an ounce of sin in him. He stands over creation. He looks at the sin, and he is appalled by the sin and rightfully wants justice, and part of his nature is not just love and mercy and grace, yes, but the other part is, is justice and wrath. So in this moment, he was pouring it out on his son, that for all who would turn to Jesus would be free of the wrath of God. Think about this, if God were to take a pass on sin and were to let us into heaven with just even a little bit of sin, that would make heaven a corrupt place. All of a sudden there's lies there, there's gossip there, there's a little bit of impurity there. And heaven's a, perfectly, a perfect place, it's utopia where we all long to be. Think of this, as God were to give pass for a little bit of sins, here's what would happen. His holy nature, would that be holy? If he's pure and there's impurity all around him, would he be pure anymore? He eradicates sin. God and, and sin are like oil and water, they just can't come together. More like light and darkness where there is light. The darkness is obliterated by the goodness and the, the glory of God. It says in the Bible, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in this moment, the cup is being drained. The curse of sin is being exhausted upon Jesus Christ. He is becoming my propitiation, a biblical word that simply means this, a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath and makes us favorable to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Substitute for my sins. Separation from the Father, bearing the wrath of God. The emotional anguish of Jesus is, is coming out in big ways. But after the three hours is up, verse 50, look what happens. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. Another passage in the gospel that simply says this, it's finished. 
It's finished. The curse of sin is finished. The wrath of God is done on all who would turn to him. It is over. And then look what happens next. Look what happens next. As he says this after this, this longest three hours, the darkest day in human history, look what happens next. It is finished. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So there's no one at the bottom trying to pull this thing. God did this from top to bottom to now allow us to show us that we can now enter into the holy of holies through Jesus Christ. The whole earth shook and the rocks were split. The earth couldn't contain their excitement of this massively significant day for all of eternity. The tombs were also opened and bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. The dead, the dead were raised were coming out to see what was going on. The curse of death was finished in this moment. And when all that were there saw this, those who were there keeping watch over Jesus, they saw this happen. They were filled with awe. And the centurion, the one who's kind of presiding over this, said this, truly this was the Son of God. Pandemonium, I'm sure it probably wasn't like, oh, this was the son. Truly, this was the son of God. It's remarkable. It's a moment in time where God was making a, a choice. God the Father and God the Son are making a choice to put themselves in the place where we belonged. There's really not even any really human examples that can give good illustrations to illustrate this. To help you see this, this is, this is the example of love. I heard a story a few years back about a sailor that is sort of parallels it, just to help you understand the significance of the sailor who was out sailing with his, took his son and his son's best friend out on the, on the boat one for one, um, for a fish, for go fishing. As they were fishing, a storm cropped up and and seasoned sailor got panicked because it was a storm he'd never seen before. And before he knew it, they were the two boys were overboard and, and he had a dilemma. He had he had one life preserver, two boys, and as he's looking out over his two boys, he had one shot. He knew he had one shot, and one of them was gonna be saved, one of them was not. What's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? In a moment of excruciating pain, you know what he did? He threw the life preserver to his son's best friend. And pulled his best friend in, and, and his son was in that moment, like, I love you, son! His son was lost forever and, and, and what would make a man do this? He knew that his, his son knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He knew that if he died, he'd be in heaven that very day but he knew that if his son's friend died, he would miss out on eternity forever and so he made an exchange in that moment and exchanged my son for you. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what God is doing with Jesus on the cross. He's exchanging his son for us. What is the cause of this Good Friday? What is the cause of this significant event? There's three causes of this event. Ultimately, it's this. It shows us the depth and the intensity and the immensity of a loving God. Not an angry God, but a loving God. Yes, his wrath had to be satisfied, but his love and his wrath come into complete unity at the cross of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Good Friday happened because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish or die but have eternal life. Get this, God knew this was gonna happen before the foundation of this earth. He knew he'd create us with a propensity of free will and within our free will, we'd have a propensity to turn from him and turn away from him and yet from the beginning of the whole design to create mankind, he knew that his son, his primary solution to this problem of sin was gonna be his son. It wasn't a backup plan, it wasn't an emergency plan. He was the primary solution for our lives and God still created us. What love of a father. Love of a father, I've told you before. If you needed my son's heart, I would pray for you and wish you well, but you would not get it. 
Could you ever even conjure up an image of love like this? If you were ever, what's, what's the greatest picture of love? This is it. We didn't come up with it. God came up with it. This happened because God loves all of humanity. Even when we're enemies and reject him. Here's a second reason why this happened. Because Jesus loves God. Get this, it's about God, it's about God, because Jesus loves God. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Father because he loves him and trusts him. It says in Hebrews 10, 7, he came to do the will of God. It says in Philippians 2, 8, he was obedient, obedient, even to the point of death, saying, God, I know if you're calling me to this, you're gonna somehow get me through this. Because of God's love for humanity, because of Jesus' love for God, and here's the third thing, notice it's last list, because Jesus loves you and I. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, yes, but also because the cross shows me so. Nowhere do we see love anywhere like we see it on the cross. Oh, our hearts long for love. We seek love, but we can't, we can't find love. You know where we find it? We find it in Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the love that satisfies every human soul. This is the love that our hearts truly long for. John 15, 13, no greater love than this to give up one's life for his friends. Ultimately, Jesus was willing to face the total despair, the ultimate rejection, because he knew it was our only hope for a relationship with God here on earth and a relationship with God forever in eternity. It is true, there is a heaven and there is a hell at the end of this life, whether you accept that or whether you believe that or not, and this happened, that all would have a chance to experience heaven and not hell. This happened that we'd be reunited with our Father in a relationship and live our lives in him and through him and by him for his glory. So as we stop to remember and commemorate Good Friday this year, this isn't just some religious thing that we do. And we come in, we put a check mark on a box, went to Good Friday service, look how good I am. We stop to really let the significance of what the cross of Jesus Christ means to us sink into the depths of our souls and be changed by it. If we can't get through a September 11th without being affected and unchanged, how could we ever get through a Good Friday? Greatest sacrifice of a sinless savior for your sin and my sin. How can we get through a weekend like this without being unaffected and unchanged by the reality of the gospel? This is the gospel. Forget what those tell you, who tell you this is wishy-washy gospel. This is the gospel. The penalty for our sin. There's a wrath of a righteous God that's poured out. And one day, either you're gonna face the wrath of God and the punishment, or you can put your trust in Jesus and trust that Jesus has already faced that wrath and that punishment for you, that you could have entrance into glory. I get it, some of you here, like hearing this for the first time, and you're like, wow, this is heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy, but it's true. I ask you just to ask God, God, if this is true, show me. Take that Bible we gave you, take it home and read it and spend this weekend seeking God because if this is true, this is the most important message you'll ever hear, not just in this weekend, in your lifetime. That's why we're so urgent, but this is the most important message you'll ever hear in your lifetime. Miss this, you miss it all here on earth and also in heaven. You get this, you get it all here on earth and also in heaven. I get you, some of you are 
heard this many times, and just another theology lesson to you. It's not a theology lesson, brothers and sisters. This is reality. This is my life and your life. Ask God, God, help me know theology, not just in my head, but in my heart. Open my heart to these truths that I might be broken of my own sin, that I might come before you as a a broken worshiper, longing for you and nothing else. Others here, you're trying to figure out how to apply this because you know this and you believe this. Let me tell you this. Just spend some time this weekend pondering again. Don't just leave here and and go on your weekend and, and pondering again the full meaning of what the cross is and how it's changed your life forever and how Jesus Christ now becomes your ultimate joy and your ultimate hope and your ultimate satisfaction. Allow God to open your heart deeper to the meaning of the cross that your life could not be the same this weekend and this coming year and for the rest of your life. As sad of a day as this is, this is also the greatest day in human history when Jesus Christ did it all. To help us really allow these truths to sink into our hearts, we're gonna, do, we're gonna sit around the Lord's table together and we're gonna, we're gonna have communion together. So as the communion service come in a few minutes, I just want to just uh, encourage you to, uh, where does the band just going to play softly up at the front to, to give you some, some background music. Just, just softly or just quietly sit in your chair and hold on to both cups and consider, consider this, that it was Jesus' blood and Jesus' body that was sacrificed for you on the cross on that Good Friday, first Good Friday. And stop and allow God to even take the words that I've spoken and to, to penetrate the depths of your soul that we wouldn't just flippantly remember, but we'd really remember Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, if you're just joining us and someone's invited you here, communion is actually for those who've seen this truth and embraced this truth and have humbled themselves and asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And so this is, this is a, a family meal, and, and so uh, clearly uh, scriptures tell us that if you've, not yet, if you've not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, to eat and drink of uh, the communion cup, it's a significant thing. It's one of the meals God left us, is to eat and drink judgment or damnation upon yourself, and quite honestly, we'd prefer if you didn't do that. And so we're not going to judge you as you pass the cup by. We just encourage you to pass the cup by because we believe the Bible is true, and we believe there's eternal consequences to what we do here on earth. And so pass the cup by, but as you pass it by, if you're passing it by today, and you know in your heart you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, and, and, and all these things we're talking about is for somebody else and not for you, just consider this, well, why have you not yet accepted this free gift of salvation? Jesus is offering today even. Come. The cross is for not good people, but broken sinners like us, like me, who realize we need a Savior. If you realize you need a savior today, just stop in your seat and say this, God, I need you today. My sins are horrendous. I can't pay the penalty. I want, I want to take advantage of what you've done for me on the cross. I want to humble myself and accept Jesus Christ and commit my life to you. And then maybe today is the day you take your first communion. That would be awesome.